The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Coming up on Chopper's Politics. I wouldn't dream of offering Boris Johnson advice. If you offer Boris Johnson advice, he tends to say, yes, yes absolutely, yeah, 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 of course, quite right, quite right, right. And then, 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 he'll, then he'll go <laughs> and talk to the next person and, and change his mind. Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, Associate Editor for Politics at the Daily Telegraph, and welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast. It's been the week when two of the great obsessions of this podcast and the Tory party over the past six years dominated Westminster. Boris Johnson and Brexit. Now, Boris Johnson's chickens came home to roost somewhat with the former PM grilled over what he knew about illegal parties during the COVID lockdowns in Number 10 Downing Street. And an expected rebellion over Rishi Sunak's Brexit deal fizzled out. With me on Chopper's Politics Podcast, we're discussing both of those key issues. Conservative Homes editor Paul Goodman will give us his analysis of whether it's over for Boris Johnson, while Simon Clark MP, a former cabinet minister and Johnson loyalist, will say why he voted against the government on the vote on the Windsor framework. And finally, Johnny Mercer, the outspoken veterans minister, will be setting out his case for why it's not all lost for the Tory party ahead of the next general election. But first up, Paul Goodman is one of the keenest observers of Conservative Party politics. He joins me now in the Red Lion pub. Paul Goodman, editor of Conservative Home, a former colleague at The Telegraph. Welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast in the Red Lion pub, your favourite haunt. Of course. Of course it is. You are one of the most acute observers of Conservative politics. Is Boris Johnson's political career over? It's hanging in the balance today. Today, Thursday. Today, today, Thursday. And he has a long history of bouncing back after terrible scrapes and problems that would have finished a lesser person off. But at the moment, it does look pretty grim for him, not only because of these goings-on with the Privileges Committee and its inquiry, but the fact is he went out yesterday to lead a revolt against the government in the company of two other previous conservative leaders and at least three, I think, yes. other cabinet ministers. Ian Duncan Smith, Liz Truss, Pretty Patel. Simon Clark, Jacob Rees-Mogg. So it's all these grand former officers and generals. But did the troops follow? No. I mean, it was a 22 people in total. The European research group are saying you've got to count all the abstentions, which you should not do, because you know as well as I do that some people abstain because they don't like a measure. Other people abstain because they're with the kids. Got or they're ill, or they're on holiday, <laughs> or they're on an overseas trip or whatever. So Boris Johnson's strategic situation at the moment looks pretty bad. And the optics are awful, aren't they? That to me as a photograph of the year will be Boris Johnson swearing on a Bible to tell the truth to his work colleagues, by and large. The optics are bad. And from the point of view of the course of public opinion, he's in a very bad place because anyone who suffered because of COVID, well, not everyone, but 
most people, surely. It's so personal. Well, they'll be very angry about what happened. So you, you start with that group. Then the whole group of people who actually don't really care about COVID or lockdown, but just hate Boris Johnson anyway. Mm. This is a sort of big group of people. But the point that keeps striking me about it is that he's not being judged by this committee on whether he broke lockdown rules or whether there were or weren't parties in Downing Street. It's about a quite narrow matter of whether he deliberately and recklessly misled Parliament. <laughs> and I felt looking at it yesterday that you could argue it either way. It's difficult for him really to claim he's in the clear, but the penalty seems to me to be absurd. The penalty is that there's this recall procedure there's nothing to do if he's banned for more than 10 if days. If he's banned for more than 10 days. If the committee bans him for more than 10 days, a question we'll come to in a moment, I'm sure. He can face a by-election triggered by only 10% of his constituents. And it seems ludicrous to me that, first of all, you can only call a recall ballot if MPs let you. So the whole procedure is mm. uh, too tight. But in another sense, it's too lax because only 10% mm. of the constituency have to require to sign the ballot for there to be a by-election and frankly most constituents hate elections yeah if you go to the good people of uxbridge i'm actually not sure they're clamoring to have a (laughs) by-election with boris johnson in the middle of it they're going to get their say in a general election before too long the the opportunity to remove boris johnson from politics could prompt you to start buying second homes now in uxbridge and west rice and register to vote and have their say i mean he rouses such passion doesn't he do you think there's a fair dealing here with Johnson. There is something called, I call it, Boris derangement syndrome. Whenever he does anything, it, well, it makes you feel mad. I mean, there's, there's always Boris derangement syndrome. And now, look, I don't want to be dragged away from this podcast in chains through committing a kind of contempt of Parliament. <laughs> and in any way, casting aspersions on the splendid impartiality of Harriet Harman and her committee. <laughs> but it is a fact without endorsing all the stuff from the Johnson supporters about kangaroo court, you have to face the fact this process is not judicial. Mm. It is political. It began with a political vote to set this inquiry up, and it will end with a political vote. To and the judge and jury are politicians, because and the judge and jury. you may not know, I was the one who revealed Harriet Harman's tweets last April. That's right, that's right. And looked at it and said, how I was saying then, or wrote then, how on earth can you possibly be a fair dealer here? And she wouldn't comment and never has commented on that. No, that's right. That's, that's, and that's she, right. she said then, if you've broken the rules, he should resign or worse that effect. She did. And from one point of view, you know, every MP is tainted in the sense that they, they come to a committee mm. like that with a view. On the other hand, I thought, you know, and I've sometimes been quite waspish about my former colleague, Boris Johnson, with whom I worked for six years. But I felt he had a point, really, when he raised Harmon's tweets in the session. And frankly, looking at Harmon's body language yesterday, I was surprised she wasn't sitting there with a black cap on. And particularly when Chris Bryant, her predecessor, quit, didn't he, after saying he that Johnson should resign in a Sky News interview last February or February, March time. So it's not all over for Johnson, you think? I mean, do you not think, though, that it, that's almost irrelevant in a sense that it feels to me like politics is moving on, that Sunak is being competent? One rogue poll this week mm-hmm. gave, gave Tories a 10-point deficit on Labour, but is politics now moving on away from Johnson anyway? At the moment it is, but you've got to remember, in our trade, we see the market overreact. Something goes wrong for someone, we say they're finished. It goes right, you know, we say they're riding high. So it's mm. true, I think, that Rishi Sunak is providing 
orderly, calm government after the chaos of last year. And my suspicion is that I can't prove it, that your average Conservative MP, despite the worrying position for them in the polls, is quite grateful for it. But, you know, what looks great today doesn't necessarily look great tomorrow. And you're talking about the May local elections, which could be a disaster for we are, Sunak. We are, we are, although it, it's, it's quite important to remember that the local elections are followed, bang, by the coronation. So the coronation we can use yeah. will wipe out all the usual... You know, There'll be a delay. Will... There'll be a delay. Well, the in fact... terms of the response in Westminster to the results on Friday morning, won't there? Yeah, there will be. The, the fact there is a delay in itself may affect the response. Mm. Um, if if uh, the results are very bad for the Conservatives, which, you know, they have every interest in briefing at the moment, and, and MPs are not as they would normally be at that mm. weekend, but are all sort of caught up in the mm. kerfuffle about the coronation. But they may that have... might have an effect. They may have their, you know, these councillors are the guys who get the votes out for the MPs. They'll be on the phone all weekend. I remember um, when the Telegraph revealed the party with the suitcase of booze, which came out on the Friday morning. Mm-hmm. And then there was a long, was a, a three-day delay before the reaction the following Tuesday, which was the the, the, the Melton Mowbray plot. So I don't, I don't think that a delay means that there won't be a reaction against Sunak. It, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily, but I think I think it must must be helpful to them mm. on the whole not to have a normal political weekend. Although you may have a point in that if <laughs> your MPs at his local street party, yeah. where you know he's being beaten around the head by former councillors who just lost their seat, <laughs> yep, maybe that makes a difference too. And at some point, these these MPs will look, won't they, at uh, the prospect of winning an election at the end of next year and think, I like being an MP. Boris is there; he's popular. Sunak is not popular. Do I go all in on him? And will the voters even forgive MPs for going well, back to Boris? I'm not sure, truthfully, there's that much polling evidence for the idea that Boris Johnson is popular or mm. would be more popular than Rishi Sunak. I mean, we did at Conservative Home quite an interesting members survey this week where we found the members didn't think Boris Johnson deliberately misled the, the Commons. They didn't think the process was fair and they want him to carry on being an MP. Yeah. But if you ask them, do you think Boris Johnson should be leader now, if he should be brought back this year, support came down yeah. to about one in five. So in that sense at the moment, yeah, the dogs are barking and the caravans yeah. are going somewhere else. I come to my last question in a minute about Boris Johnson, but it's looking at my telegraph noisily next to you in the pub here. The headline in the Telegraph on page seven on Thursday is, with all eyes elsewhere, the PM shares news of his tax return. How damaging is this tax return that he pays just um, uh, an effective rate of 22% on income running into 4.4 million? I don't know, because the group of people who already think that Rishi Sunak is a rich guy who's out of touch, that is probably what they already think. So I'm not sure that the news of this tax return really will swing people into that column who aren't aren't there already. Mm. I mean, it is rather interesting that... It's quite a low uh, rate. Someone, <laughs> someone uh, who's better off, uh, certainly than me, and I presume Christopher than you, uh, is, <laughs> is, is, is paying yeah. tax at that rate. It is interesting, but... I don't really think it's going to change the price of parsnips. No. Now, listen, you were um, at The Telegraph, you were Boris Johnson's editor for six years, which is a whole different podcast. Let's not go into that period of your life. But what is your advice to him now? Does he maybe accept that he can't come back before the election and go all in and say, come on, guys, get behind Rishi, 
Is that what you do? What does he do next? I wouldn't dream of offering Boris Johnson advice. If you offer Boris Johnson advice, he tends to say, yes, yes absolutely. Of course, quite right, quite right, right. And then, 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 then he'll go <laughs> and talk to the next person and, and change his mind. I mean, he, he's in a situation where really the only thing he can do is carry on sort of plodding forward like Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit. I mean, he's not the master of this inquiry. And, you know, he'll have to decide if they impose a penalty of 10 days or more what to do. I must say, you know, I think this recall provision is so absurd that I rather hope they don't. And just finally, if it's, if it's fewer than 10 days, he's, he can be leader again. If it's more, he can't be. I mean, No, because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, but if he's banned, he gets through it, does he? He fights well, again. There's a, there is a world in which he's barred for 10 days. There's a recall petition. He loses a by-election, goes off in disgrace, the water's kind of clear about a year and a half later, and he comes back as MP for Chuffnell Poges with a majority of 25,000, yeah. and everything's changed. You can never, ever, it's not so much write off Boris Johnson, but today in politics is never like tomorrow. On that note, Paul Goodman, the editor of Conservative Home, thank you for joining us in the pub this week on Chopper's Politics Podcast. Thank you. Paul Goodman there. It was a big week, too, for Brexit. With Rishi Sunak's Windsor framework Brexit deal sailing through the Commons with barely a scratch. Just 22 MPs from the Tory party voted against it, but they included some very big names indeed. Three former party leaders, Sir Ian Duncan Smith, Liz Truss and, yes, that man again, Boris Johnson, plus a clutch of ex-cadet ministers. And one of them is here now, Simon Clark, the former levelling up secretary. Simon Clark, welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast. Great to have you on. Morning, morning. Why did you rebel over Rishi Sunak's Brexit deal? Because in the end, I think we had a better solution available to us, which was the legislation that both Boris and Liz had been taking forward to effectively disapply large parts of the protocol unilaterally. And that would have brought complications. There's no, there's no question that the, uh, the fallout in terms of our relationship with the EU would have been very difficult. But it would also, and this is the critical point for the purposes of yesterday's vote, have brought the entire of the United Kingdom out of the trap that the protocol represents. Whereas with the best will in the world, the Windsor framework only represents an easement of a relationship which is fundamentally unequal and it perpetuates that relationship. Isn't that a natural consequence, though, of having an open border? One of your colleagues was sending me a note yesterday, one ERG member who, was, who voted for the deal said you can't have pure sovereignty because even with a, an international treaty, um, when you have an open border, you have to have some kind of arrangement. Well, the UK would never impose a hard border on the island of Ireland and the onus would therefore rest in those circumstances on the, on EU. the EU and specifically the Irish as to how hard they wanted that border So why don't we call be. their bluff then? Well, well, quite. Why don't we call their bluff? It, it, this has been, frankly, the perennial frustration of the last six years. It it obviously flared up in 2018-19, and it is flaring up again now, that I do not believe there are any rational circumstances whereby we need to have a hard border on the island of Ireland. It's the purity of the EU single market. It is, absolutely. And and, and frankly, their single market seems to trump our United Kingdom Mm. every time. And that, that is the frustration. We've ended up in a situation whereby there is a pretty hard border, not on the island of Ireland, but down the Irish Sea. Even the, even in companies in the Green Lane have lots of paperwork, don't they? Correct. And critically, the Green Lane itself can be revoked if we uh, use the Stormont break. 
So the much vaunted storm and break, the safety mechanism in the Windsor framework, if you trigger it, then the EU have explicit rights to retaliation. And that retaliation can go up to and including removing the green lane. And it's complicated too, to trigger the storm on break. It's hardly an easy thing to do. Well, it's not. It's hedged with a lot of conditions. It is not something which I think it would be easy to exercise in practice. And the Mm. ERG's analysis Mm. compares it to the break that Norway nominally has by virtue of her EFTA status. How often is that uh, Well, and and the one time Norway tried to use it, they failed. So look, I think we have to recognise that it is optimistic at best to think that the break would be a routine mechanism to prevent EU law from being imposed on Northern Ireland against her will. Isn't the truth that just people, MPs, journalists, ministers are just bored of this row and want it over and they're sacrificing sovereignty to do that? Well, that would be one interpretation. It, it, It is my strong view that it would have been better to have proceeded with the legislation, which had already cleared the House of Commons, which was in the House of Lords, and if the Lords had kicked up a fuss, we could have imposed it through the Parliament Act by going back to the Commons again. We have decided not to do that. It comes with a irrecoverable loss of sovereignty. That is why so many Tory MPs abstained yesterday. And of course, this is the bit of the picture which needs to be factored in. Nobody That's wants... That's 42, I think. Memory. Quite. And, you know, some of those will have been slipped for legitimate reasons, but many others... What you forgive me, but anyway. Right, right. Well, the, the, the point is that clearly there is deep unease within the Conservative Party. I agree. I think fundamentally Brexit weariness sits at the heart of some of the decision-making calculus here. But we will regret what happened yesterday. That's my view. I would not have rebelled lightly. You know, it's a big deal as former cabinet minister. It's a huge deal. And it was in the end, only those of us who I think have very little to lose under this administration in the end, ultimately, we're going to follow through on it. Three former leaders. The rebellion was made up of very senior former ministers for the most part. And the sad reality is that we have been pushed into doing that because the government has chosen not to proceed with a better solution which was open to you it. You the government, that's Rishi Sunak. Is the problem here that people like him maybe like the idea of trade, their international focus, they see borders as a hindrance, not as an issue of sovereignty, and therefore they don't really get what Brexit is for, for many Brexiteers? Well, to his great credit, the Prime Minister, of course, voted for Brexit, but I do think that on this particular aspect of it, what I might gently term the Treasury worldview has won out, which Mm. is that the trade consequences of a rupture with the EU Mm. outweighed the sovereignty dimensions of the Northern Irish issue. And I obviously respect the hard work that has gone into trying to make Windsor as good as it can be. And it did exceed my expectations, in truth, in terms of some of the practical easements which it has secured. Mm. But it doesn't resolve the sovereignty question. And that goes to the heart of, of what Brexit is meant to be for many, many well, people. it can't be an unequal thing between GB and NR. Is it over now, or it, it should Rishi Sunak go back and negotiate a new deal, as Priti Patel was arguing well, in the time I mean, of I, I certainly think that this would be an unhappy position for us to find ourselves in into the long term. My worry is that once you have foregone the negotiating leverage that our legislation in the Commons and the Lords had had secured us, mm. you know, once you remove that threat from the EU, what incentive have they got to revisit this question? I don't think they've got any. Now, of course, you were voting on a day of big drama 
in Parliament. Boris Johnson was being effectively tried for his mm. political career by colleagues of yours on the Privileges Committee. Have you talked to him overnight since? It's Thursday morning, the next Only morning. Only to say how sorry I am that he's been placed in this position and how much I personally felt the committee overreached yesterday in terms of the tone of proceedings, which felt, to me, extremely aggressive. They're trying to get him annoyed, weren't they? Well, it, well that, 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 that's it. him. Yes. Yes, I think so. And the the reality is that what happened in number 10 has been stripped of all context by these proceedings. This was a building which was operating under the most enormous pressure in the face of this devastating pandemic. People there were working 17, 18 hours a day, every day for months. And Boris had a responsibility to try and keep them as sane as they could be under these appalling strains, which weren't just linked, obviously, to the hours, but also to the the stakes that they were working for. And, you know, they had to be at work. They had to be in close proximity in what is the centre of, of government. Mm. And I don't believe for a moment that Boris did anything for pleasure. Well, he wasn't there for the egregious examples. And he, yes. he admitted some part of these events, he would say, went on too long. And the events he's been on the hook for look like quite anodyne. Well, exactly. Anodyne, anodyne is exactly the word I've used. Mm. It's, it's incredibly frustrating that uh, the birthday party for which he and Rishi were fined, I mean, that was ludicrous mm. uh, in my view. But the reality is that he was not there, as you say, for the undoubted wrongdoing which occurred, for but, example, on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral. people are angry. I was on Channel 5 on, it must have been Tuesday, when you know, someone phoned up from Southport just in tears about the memory of being kept apart from their mm. loved ones at a funeral. Mm. It was and, awful. And they blame it on, on the Prime Minister. Yeah. Well, they, they, look at, they look at the, his apparent behaviour and they're just cross with him. And uh, look, I understand the strong feeling all of this evokes because we all obviously had this awful period of our lives. But I'm afraid it is the simple truth that the people responsible for the government of the country had to be at work. This is the this is mm. the the point which I think just has got lost in the heat. I don't believe for a moment Boris was socialising wildly because he wanted to do it. God, he must have been shattered too. And let's not forget, he almost lost his own life in the middle of all of this. He was doing his best to maintain morale and to do what any leader has to try and do, which is the human dimension. And of that's managing why he people. lost his temper slightly, that, that context well, I, I, was missing. Well, he, I mean, he is being treated as though he is a criminal by a number of MPs. And, you know, let's not forget, a lot of Labour MPs and SNP MPs loathe the Prime Minister because, of course, he wins on issues but the that majority they in that committee are Tory MPs. Well, I mean, ultimately, you can't it, blame it on the other side. This the, one, the, the committee will have to look at the evidence in the round. But I, I really do hope that when they are making their decisions, that they are not blind to the reality of what was going on in the country at the time that you know, these events were unfolding. And the enormous strain which was inherent for all of those working in that building. It's not looking good, though, is it? I mean, I think he's going to face a ban of some of some days that could even trigger a by-election. Well, more than ten days would do so. I obviously, you know, watching the footage yesterday, I thought that the attitude of a number of the members looked quite bleak. But I can't prejudge what they're no. going to do. I can only, as I say, genuinely hope that there is fairness in the context of the situation. Because certainly I believe that in the wider country, 
that is ultimately the prevailing sentiment of most fair-minded people. Now, just five short months ago, you were writing a piece the Telegraph saying why you should come back as Prime Minister, weren't you? Yeah, and, I, I, look, and I, I've made no secret that? of the fact that yeah. I, I believe Boris Johnson is a huge political talent, and I know that on the doorsteps of Middlesbrough South and East Cleveland, he is the person who people are still cross, my colleagues removed. He is the person who people still believe understood what they wanted in 2019, understood the needs of the left-behind communities of places like Teesside better than anyone in contemporary politics. And there is huge regret that he is no longer Prime Minister. And should he come back before the election? Well, look, we have uh, Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister and I support a Conservative government. Should he come back before the next election? Because look, the party is still uh, 20, 20 yeah, points yeah, behind yeah, with yeah, a rogue yeah, poll look, for 10 points. We, we, are, we are all concerned about our polling situation, but we need, as a government, to work collectively to make sure that uh, we deliver for the priorities of the British people. And I don't think that there is scope for leadership speculation, given that ultimately we have secured some important victories over recent weeks, including critically on uh, the small boats legislation, which we all want to succeed. But you've got a leader there who's paying just 22% tax on over £4 million worth of income in three years. How does that play in the red wall? Well, look, there, there, is, there, there is obviously great respect for the, the hard work and the huge abilities of the Prime Minister. He is somebody who is... So uh, you're in the pub with me now. No one's listening to this anyway. <laughs> they, they, they most certainly are, Chris. And look, I, I genuinely want there to be a Conservative victory in 2024. I think a Labour government would be a disaster. We all have a responsibility to make sure that this, this project succeeds. This project being being in power? What this, is project the, what is being, project? this project being to make sure that Britain recovers from the pandemic, to make sure that we address some of the burning social issues of the day, and that we do unlock what I hope uh, yeah. can be a bold and exciting vision for a Conservative so Britain. So just finally on Boris Johnson, it, as a, one of his key supporters, is it over for him? It's never over for Boris. <laughs> Simon Clark, thank you for joining us this week in the pub on Chopper's Politics Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Simon Clark there. Now, coming up, outspoken Veterans Minister Johnny Mercer on the future for the Tory party and why it's not as bleak as you might think and doing the right thing for our 2 million veterans in the UK. Right after this. We're interrupting this podcast to bring you news of another Telegraph show we think you might like. It's called Planet Normal, and it's hosted by me, Liam Halligan. And me, Alison Pearson. We're both Telegraph columnists who share the view that far too often those who shout the loudest on the telly just don't represent the views of normal people. So take a trip with us to Planet Normal. We're joined by some stellar guests, well-known voices from politics, business and the arts. All from different fields, but they have one thing in common. They're at the top of their game, but distinctly down to earth. The good news is I finally learned what a podcast is and even how you subscribe to it. It's actually quite simple. Search for Planet Normal on your podcast app or click on the link in the show notes for this episode. You don't really know what a podcast is, do you? I am one. Look, I am one. Who needs to know what it is? I am one. Okay, shut up. Now, Johnny Mercer was an early backer of Boris Johnson back in 2019, and he has since forged a reputation as an outspoken minister for our veterans. He joins me now. Johnny Mercer, welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast. 
Big week in Westminster. You were a big fan of Boris Johnson back in the day. Is his career over? I don't know if his career is over. I, you know, that's that's you know, it doesn't really what matter do what I think about that. Uh, well, like look, the process Marshall of the house. No, there's nothing like court martial. He's, you know, he's subject to a process in a house. Uh, the house has got to be allowed to get on with its business and get on with it. And it's right that we allow that process to take place. Yeah, he's swearing on a Bible, giving evidence to work colleagues. I mean, it looks quite difficult for him. Well, it's process, it's process of the house, isn't yeah. it? I mean, you know, that's the way the committee works. And, you know, when you come to the House of Commons, you sign up to the rules and that's the rules of the game. And he's going through that process now. Now, you're the Veterans Minister. I am. Um, what does success look like for you? Success looks like making this the best country in the world to be a veteran, right? Which is quite, can be quite a, a, a sort of panacea of a phrase, if you like. But we've started from a very low base where we didn't have an office of veterans affairs. We didn't separate veterans from the MAD and things like that. And that does mean that obviously we're coming up on the outside, but it means that we're able to look at everybody else and take a lot of that good practice away from, you know, five eyes countries that we're, we're American talking to all the time. Well, America, but New Zealand, Australia, Canada, and implement policies that are genuinely going to change lives in the UK. And you look at what we've done, whether it's around op courage, you know, a single defined mental health care pathway, 19,000 referrals in the first year is a massive yeah. unmet need there. This year we'll end uh, veterans homelessness. And You'll end uh, it. Yeah, yeah, we will end veterans homelessness in this country this year and there's an opportunity to do really you know really big things we'll have clear care pathways for physical injuries we got a fantastic settlement in the budget last week i mean the, the environment and the situation has just completely changed and and I'm having you, why are you outside the mod i don't quite understand why that is the case why are you in the well because office? veterans are not serving personnel are they they're civilians and you know most people obviously come out and move on with life with no problems at all but if they do have problems often they will be with the ministry of defense and over time they've felt like they didn't really have someone sticking up for them. You know, we're very slow on this. Canada did it in 1947, Australia and New Zealand in the 60s and the 70s. In the 80s, America did it and set up their Office of Veterans Affairs after Vietnam. You know, veterans don't need much. They just need specific pathways into employment and into uh, mental health care and so on if, if they need it. But, you know, the vast majority, we settled, we've got highest veteran employment, 87% mm. than we've ever had in this country. So, you know, I've never asked for the moon on a stick. I've just right. asked for us to get this right for a very special cohort. Of You're people. one of the few ministers out there, I think, who absolutely gets the job they're given. I mean, you talked to Jeremy Hunt when he was health secretary. That was given to him. You know, he didn't do a job that he was meant to be doing. He's got it and, and did his best at it. But you know, giving your when you resigned over the issue of Northern Ireland veterans and a bloody Sunday cry, went over there for the trials. I mean, you've literally travelled hard yards with these people. Well, yeah, I have, but it's 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 not a I sort say of, hard yards. You've, you've walked yeah, through them. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's for me. I you know, for better or worse, it does feel like a calling, right? So, uh, I mean, that's that's the reason I'm here. I came here because mm. I was fed up with the way this country treated veterans. I looked at our peer nations, and I was fed up about how it felt for them and for the families of the, those who died, you know, in in the wars that I fought in, and. Um, I'm very proud, actually, you know, that Conservative Party has allowed me to to come in. You know, I've created the Office for Veterans Affairs. We've got a veterans minister in the cabinet. Okay. And and you're right. Like, you know, people do say, so well done you. But actually, I can do any of this stuff on my own, right? It has to be a willing environment from the Conservative Party. I have to have a prime minister who genuinely believes in this like Rishi Sunak does. And that makes me incredibly proud well, of the party. That independence gives you the ability to maybe to call out comments by maybe the defence secretary when he says the army is being hollowed out. You say nonsense. 
Look, I um, I, I don't, I don't that, call that. out. I don't, I don't call out people. I just play everyone with a straight bat, and you know, I've always done that for better or worse in politics. You know, mm. sometimes it, it lands on the right side, sometimes it doesn't. I'm just straight with everybody, Chris. Yeah, you are. And uh, you know, I try and maintain that line. I think uh, things would be a lot easier if everybody was. But the army is set to fall in size now, isn't it? On the forecast, I mean, Ben Wallace was right there when he's making his point for more money. Um, so he, you know, Ben Wallace makes his comments on, on defence spending and he is bidding for a better settlement. And I would say that I've been arguing for better defence spending for years before Ben Wallace became Defence Secretary. That is not a new campaign for me. It is not correct to say the money has been taken out of defence because if you look at the maths, it was £38 billion a year when I first came here with just under £50 billion a year spending on defence. Now, that is a lot of money. And this Prime Minister actually committed to the biggest funding settlement since the end of the Cold War only 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. So those are the facts of the matter. That's not my opinion. That's the facts of the matter. And that's all I stated. And Ben's a good colleague. He's doing a good job. And, uh, you know, we've got a proud story to tell on defence cognizant of the fact we have some real challenges at the moment in that in that and you've, you've had a drink with them have you since this in western world falling out well so it's not a falling out oh, no, exactly. is it no exactly so there's you know there's nothing really to say about it you mentioned there your tours of duty or your, you allude to your service and your tours of duty in afghanistan you don't wear any medals do you no now why is that because i know that when james heapy was here head of remembrance sunday he had a whole rack of, of medals on his uh, well suit. look i mean it's a very it's a very personal thing i mean um mm. You know, there's, there's, there's no right or wrong answer and people will agree or disagree with me. Personally, medals have never particularly been my thing. For, for, for me personally, I, you know, certainly on, 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 on my last show, I had a very difficult time and, um, you know, I was talking about sort of getting gallantry medals and stuff. And at the same time, I was flying back to see the parents of people who died and it just didn't sit well with me. And, you know, it's funny because you come, you come here and you see everyone with their racks of medals and they're very quick to put their titles after their name and stuff. And, you know, and a, a little bit of you goes, Oh, that was a mistake. But actually, you know, stood there in that moment. I made that decision and um, I'm, I'm in, entirely comfortable with it. Um, and that's just a personal decision. Oh, and, and people will criticise me for no. it and they're more, I'm more than happy for them to do so. No, no, one is, no one is judging on that. That is entirely your, your choice. Uh, there's, a, there's a campaign, isn't there, for a burial for the last black RAF pilot? Yeah. You, you're part of that, is it? Yeah, I'm trying to find him, trying to find enough? who he is, trying to find... I think we've identified him, trying to find his family and his colleagues. You know, the people from the Foreign and Commonwealth made an extraordinary contribution to this nation. They still do today in the military, but particularly during the Second World War. It was uh, extraordinary what they did. I've been obviously embedded with that community for mm. a long time, and, and uh, we want to make sure we find his friend and family and give him the send-off he deserves. And there's, there's some big announcements made in, in the budget well, no, yeah. last week, and that's better housing. You're concerned about the quality of housing Yeah, veterans. look, I mean, if you're going to end veterans' homelessness, as many governments have tried to do, you have to tackle all facets of it, whether it's the capital building programs in the veterans accommodation that you know might have fallen behind the curve you've then got to get really down into the really vulnerable people who may be struggling with addiction and, and domestic violence and things like that and find out why they're homeless you can resolve the homelessness right but there's all that wraparound stuff about having a job and skills and all this that goes with it bought 910 supported housing placements for 8.5 million pounds we are transforming what it means to be a veteran in this country and i'm really proud of the prime minister and the party for having it's done a safety so. net isn't it basically and did you worry too many going to prison? Have you checked out the yeah, of prison course. population? I mean, back in when I was um, doing campaigning for Telegraph, 
with combat stress in the late noughties, the big concern there was PTSD and how that might drive some veterans towards behaviours which may mean they end up in prison. Yeah, so look, one of the biggest challenges in in this space, in this country, has been around data, right? And really understanding, for example, how many veterans we have in in the criminal justice system, how many veterans we have in this country. I mean, we didn't even record that. It's millions. We've got it into 2.27 million. So we've now got it into the census, right? But again, that is kind of self-identifying. So it's it's, it's as accurate as we can go, but it's not, you know, as accurate as some other countries. And that's given us a real granularity around that data. We did a a study, the ONS have have just done another survey for us, and we're really understanding the data. The truth is there is not an over-representation of of veterans in the criminal justice system. And in some, you know, I've visited two prisons in in the last few months, we were at one a month ago and they've got a veterans wing and prison services do an amazing job for these people. And, you know, there's good people in there who've, who've made a bad decision. And, you know, the key is to stop them reoffending when they come out. And I think that they've got a good line on that. Is uh, individual service taking into account when, when they're being sentenced? Is that, should that be taken into account? So I, I, I don't believe that. I mean, there are different ways of doing this. And in America, they have things like veterans courts. That's not something we've gone down in this country. I'm not entirely sure that'd be helpful. For me, I'm committed to making sure when they, they are convicted and they are in prison that they are supported as, as best they can. But crucially, you know, they can, they can see beyond the end of their sentence and see the opportunities that, you know, the skills they got during their time in service can be used to sort of change course and have a really fulfilling life. Now, you said, Johnny Mercer, you will stand again as an MP. It didn't look like you were going to be an MP, didn't it? A few months ago, you were standing yeah, a bit pissed I mean, off at all. Politics I mean, you wear your heart to sleep, which is why you're It's ups and downs. And, you know, I try and be very straight all the time. And, you know, all I've tried to be in over the years, you know, I've, I'm always quite amused by this whole kind of rebel thing. I mean, I'm not a rebel. All all I've done has been consistent, right? I've Mm. stuck to what are our manifesto commitments, particularly to veterans. I came into this place because I was fed up of people making commitments and not seeing them through. I've been consistent. The tide has sometimes comes in and you're doing all right. And then it goes out and you're you're out of office. That is politics, (laughs) right? So there's no point getting upset about it. You know, I'm I'm delighted we we have a, a new administration, of course. You know, it's a completely different environment. You can see what I've done in the first five months. We have, uh, you know, I've only been able to do that because I'm, we are, you know, in a totally you're different environment. You're in the building now, you're in the right place. Well, it's in a totally different environment to work in, you know, with different people with a different uh, attitude, a different outlook. And, you know, we, we've got a proud record over the last 13 years. You know, I'm not going to let anyone sort of talk us down on that. Prime Minister, you know, reiterated that from Dispatch Box yesterday. But, you know, this is a kind of uh, a new moment. And if we're going to win a fifth, a record fifth general election, people will obviously be tired of us. Is that doable? But yes, it is absolutely doable. And I see that every week when I'm out on the doors. I see it across across the commons. Of course, it's doable. I think the lead in the Labour Party, I think, in the polls is obviously concerning, but I think it's it's, it's very shallow. I Mm. I think it's more of a rejection of us rather than an excitement about the Labour Party. And that means there's a massive opportunity for us to just do this quiet, competent, professional government and people have seen that with the Northern Ireland agreement with the small boats work you know inflation um, projected to be under three percent by the end of the year you know these are the real things that matter to people the circus has been very interesting for a lot of people in in London right but in Plymouth they're absolutely fed up of it and they want government to be good competent professional and helping them with their day there's no actual life. red meat yet for voters is there? there's no tax cuts there's no the things which we, which we all honestly think no one talks to me about that on doors in Plymouth they? no they don't they want you know I've got 30 percent public sector workers in Plymouth, right? They want the NHS to work. They want social housing to be addressed. You look at that autumn statement that Jeremy Hunt last did, November. Last November, a 
Okay, the capital bills in that were protected, which means we'll get our new hospital in Plymouth, which is what really matters to them because they're using it all the time, right? So of course you can spin it, no red meat for the toilet. Honestly, I never see that on the doors. Have you, you suggested with your wife, did you, Felicity, about standing again? Because she's been terrific on, on, on Twitter, piling in on your battles for you. <laughs> which, which I think, by the way, Mrs. Hope would be the same if I right. was an MP. So right. Um, I generally try not to. Um, I, look, I'm an encourager. She's a force of nature. And she is. She's very independent. And, and she's um, marvellous. Does she warn I you think, when uh, she's about to intervene? No, 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 not at all. Um, she, uh, she does her own thing. I'm incredibly proud of her. And also, I'm a big fan of, you know, you can't go around saying you want women to sort of be independent, have their own minds, and then try and censor their outbursts like, you know, some no. of the Korean dictators. It's just a load of rubbish. So, you know, she can say whatever she wants. Uh, she seems to be right 99% of the time. <laughs> she certainly is um, right. You know, and I'm very proud of her. Well, Johnny Mercer, thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics Podcast. Great to have you on. Thank you. Cheers. Johnny Mercer there. Well, that's all for this week, listeners. Thank you to my guests, Simon Clark MP, Johnny Mercer MP, and of course, Conservative Homes, Paul Goodman. Thank you to my producers, Louisa Wells and Giles Gear. But most importantly of all, thank you to you for listening. Please do share your thoughts on what we've discussed today by emailing me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or on Twitter, we're at Choppers Podcast. Is it over for Boris Johnson? Is Brexit done? Please do tell me. And as ever, please do sign up to my daily Choppers Politics newsletter. It goes straight into your email inbox every weekday. The link for that will be in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget my weekly Peterborough Diary Gossip column, out on Fridays at 7pm online or in Saturday's newspaper. And as ever, please do buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph if you can. I know you won't regret it. And we're back on Monday for a special edition of this podcast on the eve of the announcement of the next First Minister of Scotland. Until next time, though, cheerio! 